Hey guys, Chris Kroll here, and I want to introduce you to my podcast, The Halifax Network. On The Halifax Network, we're going to be discussing a variety of topics, including real estate, products, and services, all available to you within Halifax and Nova Scotia. I'm going to tap you into my network, where I talk to some pretty cool people that I've either had some business interactions with, or I'm really interested to hear about their products and services and share it back with you guys. So please don't hesitate, click the notification button, click subscribe, follow along. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Hellfast Network. So um, yeah, I guess we'll jump right into it. Put that, you know, move stuff around as you need it. But so we'll jump right into it. So, um, you know, welcome on the show. Uh, we got uh, Ed Power here from Crossroad Resources. So uh, we're just going to jump right in here and, uh, you know, Ed, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself, kind of a little bit about uh, what you got going on right now. You're currently in the Air Force, but uh, you got some aspirations of moving on to other things with your business here. So we're just here to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I guess my day job or normal job, because it's not always that day, is uh, I'm in the forces, I'm in the Air Force. Uh, fix helicopters and shear water. Uh, been in the military since I was 16, so most of my life experience has been gained through being in the military. But uh, I'm from here initially, moved away several times, came back, uh, I guess we came back in 2011. And uh, we came back in 2011, we started you know, building our home. And in the process of building our home, I had to clear our lot to build our house, which I'd never had done before. And my father-in-law kind of guided me through that process. He was very familiar with that kind of work. And, you know, built the house, whatever. I had all this wood left over. And then it was kind of like, what do we do with this wood? Well, I can do some firewood. We can get some of it milled and make wood. And that was like my first introduction to be able to like, we can take the trees from our property and turn them into money or a usable resource. And it didn't like take off from there. That was like the introduction to it. But like slowly over the next couple of years, I would cut some firewood, sell it to friends at work. And then I kind of started like seeing that, oh, I can, I can do this and make a couple dollars. So I just started selling firewood essentially, which is slave labor. It's uh, right. It is you know, slave labor. It's hard. Yeah. It's a hard way to make a living. Anyone you buy firewood from never complain that it's $250, $300 a cord because it's tough. Man, I got, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, I got to jump in. I got, I used to have another little business there when I, I told you about a while ago, I was peddling fish there yeah. in the uh, pandemic just for kind of something to do to keep busy. And it was like a side project for my, it's supposed to be a retirement project for my uh, father. Anyway, where I used to park in uh, Fall River, there was a guy used to be called the, he called himself the Kindling King. <laughs> and he'd go get all the scrap wood from like Kent and he'd split it all up with an electric splitter and bag it. And then he'd sell it off the back of his little Ford Ranger. Man. And, you know, he was selling it for like, I don't know what it, it was. I thought it was even low. Yeah, like three bucks a bundle. Oh, it wasn't yeah. enough. It was yeah. like I'd even pick up like a few like bags because you know we got the pit out in the backyard yeah. in the summertime. You know, you always need kindling. Yeah. 
But anyway, he always said, he was like, man, he was like, I almost just do it to get out of the house, like, yeah. to get away from the wife. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Yeah, people do. Uh, yeah, but I went hard at that for a few years. And uh, my father-in-law, who was always, like, involved in this process, like, he, you know, loves the outdoors and, and loved cutting wood. And he had a business. He had a large machine shop that he sold. And he just you know, kind of couldn't stop. So he kind of set up this little thing for me and my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law ended up having a weld in the machine shop and he kind of, we didn't make a firm plan of what we were going to do, but it was going to be something with wood. So we were going to go with the firewood route. So, but then I kind of started ramped up for another year and went really hard on the firewood. And then we got to a point where like, well, we need to spend some money on equipment to make this viable you know, start running all the numbers. We need a firewood splitter, a firewood processor, sorry. Uh, we need a dump truck or like a one-ton truck and a trailer. And and then you start talking about the volume you'd have to deliver. So I'd have to deliver loads every day. And like, you know, we're, we're talking like $200,000 to sell firewood. We're like, well, that just doesn't even make sense. Like, how, yeah. how do we do this? So then it just happened chance that a friend of mine borrowed a sawmill from his father in Ontario and brought it to Nova Scotia to build this camp in Bridgewater. But he had no place to store it. So he stored it at my house because I uh. live out in, in the woods. And I'm like, well, what is this sawmill thing? A little portable sawmill, like rinky-dink $5,000 thing. But the deal was, like, you store it here. I get to play with it. I started messing around with it. I had all these logs anyway that I was turning into firewood. And I was like, oh, I can turn this into wood. So this, like, started a little spark. And, uh, you know, puttered around with that for a year. Then we clued him. We're like, we just need to get a sawmill. Why not? We have all the wood. Unlimited. The, yeah, let's just, like, do it. <laughs> like, I did, like, a bit of research, I guess, feeling around. But there's no, there's no like, market for, like, a portable sawmill market or anything. It's just kind of like a thing people do, I guess, and keep it quiet. So we just bought a sawmill. Just straight up bought this sawmill, which we thought was like the best thing ever at the time, the Cadillac, which you now lots of experience probably would have got a different thing. Right. <laughs> but then this just like started this snowball of like opportunities, I would say. I just started milling our own wood and selling it. And then I started offering my services out to people and I would go everywhere. I've been like, you know, down to Yarmouth or downtown dartmouth parked in behind a building you know a tree comes down in someone's yard we'd mill it up or a, a homeowner wants to put an addition on their property they cut down a bunch of trees they have the forethought to think about maybe i can turn these trees into something usable so i did that for a couple years and you know all part-time right you know i got a day job do this on the weekends maybe a little bit in the evening and i definitely started like meeting some cool people in that industry and eventually I had a big turn. I would, I see it as the biggest turn because it changed my perspective on the type of wood I should be going after is I did a job for uh, Dalhousie through this place called the Deanery Center, which is kind of like a not-for-profit, I think they call themselves an art interpretation center. Okay. It's out my way. It's actually a summer camp I went to when I was a child, but it's all about like... Uh, different building techniques and it's a cool spot like uh, i'd encourage anyone to go down and check it out but they got the trees from where i believe it was the dalhousie school of architecture was putting the new building up they kept all the trees brought them to the deanery center and the plan was for me to mill them 
and then some local woodworkers to turn them into furniture and pieces to put into the building, which they did. But the trees were beautiful. Like we're talking, you know, beautiful elm, linden, oak, maple, massive, massive trees and turned out to be some really nice pieces. And it really got my gears turned on like, what happens to all these trees that are in the city that get cut down? Like, where are they going and what are they being used for? So, you know, this was several years ago and that was kind of like a slow burn in the back of my mind as I did all the, like, normal day-to-day portable sawmill and dimensional lumber. You know, during the pandemic, there was no lumber. That was amazing, right? Like, I could riddle off two-by-fours like it was going out of style right. and get a premium for them. But this little you know, idea of these big trees in the city that were going to the dump was always on my mind. And over time, I just kind of developed some relationships with arborists, some people from the city, and I kept amassing these trees that were getting cut down in the city. And uh, eventually, you know, I think the hurricane kind of jump-started everything because, you know, how many trees came down. Uh, I ended up getting a lot of trees, you know, crane jobs, uh these massive trees on people's houses, salvaging them all and getting them to my house and cool, get them all to my house. But what do we do then? You know, they're, they're logs. So there's a whole process involved after that, which inquires like bigger sawmills. Uh, you got to be able to dry it afterwards. I just bought a new kiln. To I've do seen that. that. Yeah, yeah. Brand new kiln. Yeah. That's like the, out of all this stuff, it's like the least attractive to everyone like no one cares about their wood being dried because it just goes into a thing and no one sees it for weeks right but it's the most critical part like you can the saw cutting it down with a chainsaw and milling it up is and then you know using the wood to build a piece of furniture everyone like documents those processes because they're attractive and they're fun and there's machines right and, and you can show people yeah but the like the friction point I call it is drying your wood because if if you take a green piece of lumber, what we call green is it has a like a high moisture content full yeah. of water. If you bring that into a house, like you make a beautiful piece of furniture and you bring it into a house, as that moisture comes out at a rapid rate to, to equalize the humidity in the room, it ends up cracking and splitting and warping your wood. So you have to do that in a very controlled manner to ensure your wood stays flat and it's the same humidity as the place you're going to bring it so that's what the whole the whole kiln piece came in yes just an example and i'll show you before you you go when we finish up um prime example of that and uh, my inexperience as well i'm like hey wifey gonna make you a table yep farm style table i was like i'm gonna do it i'm not like super super handy but i can get by so i was like you know what i'm gonna make a table so you know i go down to kent i get like you know uh bunch of pine you know rough cut yep. stuff uh boards anyway and i got it all together like tight yep. glued up glued up tight you know framed it all up and then like you say next thing inexperience i don't know it's not i, I don't think the rough cut stuff must have been kiln dried or yep. whatever and next thing i look everything was tight together and then over time there's like you know we got like cracks in the boards i mean it still looks good it yeah, still yeah. looks it makes it look a bit rougher than yeah. what it was originally going to but yeah like uh, i didn't know like moisture and the dryness in the home and eventually it just like shrunk up luckily it was all glued down and 
screwed nailed down it didn't twist or anything yep. but i mean it definitely shrunk up and then you could definitely see through like the boards of like yeah. the top the tabletop which i was a little disappointed about at first but then you know i was like hey maybe it gives it a little bit more of that rough character yeah so now i don't even tell anybody it was a mistake <laughs> well, you, don't, you didn't know it was a mistake i think that's right? the thing is most people don't understand that like that's a element to it and the availability of a product that isn't going to do that isn't necessarily available to everyone too right you like you go to kent with this idea that oh this is usable right which is unless you went to like have you ever heard of east coast specialty hardwood like no. there there are a awesome spot in burnside but the, you know they have all the good wood for doing that type of thing but there's just not a, not a lot of knowledge about that but and like yeah you go into the technical stuff of kilns i could go at nauseum with that but where that wood was dried was probably dried in like what they call a dehumidification kiln, which is essentially like a dehumidifier and a heater in a chamber. And that's good, but it still will have like a higher moisture content because it's usually used for building supplies. Right, which is important. Yeah, yeah building supplies aren't going to get glued together with fine joinery. Like the thing I bought is it's a vacuum kiln so it's like a vacuum chamber. So sucking everything out. Sucking it out and heating it at the same time. So, like, I I ended up buying it used brand new. It was wicked. The company's called iDry. A company in the States, Mark Lumber, they make bats, baseball bats. For I've the, seen you build a bat. No, that's they, amazing. They gave that to me. Oh, that's, that, yeah, that's that was them. Yeah, they gave that to me for buying the kiln off them. So, they build baseball bats for, like, the MLB. Like for, and they it make custom. beautiful. Yeah, they make bats for, you know, I don't watch a lot of baseball, but if you check out their Instagram page... They have them custom. This is for this guy. This is for that guy. Really? But they bought this kiln because their supply chain during the pandemic pretty much failed on them. They couldn't get kiln-dried maple to the standard they wanted to be able to produce their bats. Like at all? At all. So they said, okay, cool. We're going to totally vertically integrate. We're going to source our own logs. We're going to saw our own lumber. And we're going to kiln-dry it ourselves. Fuck it. We'll do it all. So they bought this kiln. As soon as they got it, they're like, no, we need a bigger, better one. So they upgraded to the next one, the Turbo, which then I found, the company I drive just told me, said, hey, you know, we've been talking about selling you this kiln. This company in Montreal just bought one, hasn't used it. They already paid duty on it. It's in country. Do you want to buy it from them? You know, we'll facilitate the transaction. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. was happening like just as the hurricane was happening. I was like, oh, it's all falling together. I got to I got to buy this machine. So we did it, bought it, and they sent me that bat as like a thank you for because uh, me buying that it alleviated their head. Yeah, yeah, allowed them to get the new one. So it was, yeah, uh, yeah it was a whole operation though. But then you know, got to had to start an addition on the building, and then you know, trying to get it transported from Montreal to here, line up a crane, have it on. You know, uh, I guess Christmas Eve. I think yeah, Christmas Eve is when uh, I ended up it landed. So. Yeah, because I know you're waiting for it for a little yeah, bit. It was yeah. delayed because we were supposed to do this like a few weeks ago, yeah. and then we had to reschedule because the kiln was coming. Yeah, and then I did see it got dropped off yeah, like yeah. Christmas Eve. Santa yeah. dropped it Santa off. Santa dropped of it off. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How big was the sleigh that come down? Yeah. Oh man, forty-five <laughs> ton crane. Right. That's what, yeah. It was good. Awesome, man. So, uh, so all this. Uh, salvage wood, like, so what's the process? Like, uh, say. Say I got a nice, like I'm in the south end of Halifax and I got this nice tree that unfortunately come down on my shed. Like, yeah. you know, an arborist or, you know, somebody's got your info, they get in touch with you. Are they like, 
are you charging them to take it out? Are you taking the wood? And, and are you, ta- is it like, um, how does the process all work? I guess from when it comes down to you getting there on site, craning it away onto your trailer, yeah. off to your spot and then off to process and whatever it may get turned into. I would say there isn't a process, Oh, a formal one formal. I wish there was a formal one, like a side thing with some people I'm working with with the city, a couple not-for-profits is like establishing a process. Right. Maybe not for the, uh, you know, privately owned trees, but at least the public ones, like anything in the city. Right. But normally, like I have developed a couple relationships with some of the bigger arborist companies. And uh, coincidentally, two of the ones I work with the most are owned by guys I was in the military with. It's funny how that works. I know. But uh, they know what I can do and what I want. And uh, they'll just call me up and say, hey, Ed, I'm taking down this tree here. Does it interest you? Yeah. Are you doing it with a crane? Cool. I'll show up with a flat deck trailer. And it, it's it. I charge them nothing. They charge me nothing. It's more of... Get it out of our way. Yeah. Like, uh, I know, for example, like, during, uh, you know, let's say my buddy Jeff, he owns TreeWorks. He called me up uh, a couple times during Hurricane Fiona. Hey, we're at the public gardens right now. I got a crane trees on can you roll up and take this i just rolled up they put about ten thousand pounds of wood on the back of that trailer and i'm gone gone i'll be back in two hours another load gone so that just alleviated a headache for them right they need to get it off of whatever it fell onto cut it up get it out of there because they don't got a place for it to go well they do but they might have to pay to dump it right you know that's the thing is so there's more expense more headache it's going to be discarded I guess, and you can go That's into unfortunate. Yeah. The, well, numerous reasons, right? You can talk about uh, like the carbon capture element is like if you even if you chip it and we use chips, it still releases carbon. Or if it just literally gets buried as a log, it'll do the same thing. But if you turn it into a wood product, you actually like capture the carbon of that item in the life cycle. This like this table's made of wood. The carbon that's in this piece of wood gets held static while it's a table when you discard it later on in life so the more wood products you can make out of trees rather than dispose of it the more carbon you capture so would you say that like uh downsizes or or, uh, reduces like our carbon footprint on the earth a little bit oh yeah from your kind of process on how you're uh sam shirell i believe his name is he's like the godfather of urban timber salvage he's done a bunch of research on this he has a like a lot of hard numbers about how much carbon gets captured through this like urban wood salvage process okay but then like like the easiest way to explain i would explain to someone is you have this tree that normally would be trash because you know the conventional sawmills need very uh you know they have very harsh standards of wood you know needs to be straight no knots clear you know they're a production line versus the kind of thing like in the south end that falls down your backyard is massive too big for their saws truck and it's hard you know there's nails in it all this stuff which does make it harder to move harder to process but the value of the product at the end like you know what i mean who doesn't want a 50 inch wide slab table like just yeah and then if you another element is like capturing the story of it like whenever i get a tree from somewhere that's like i don't know if you want to call it historic or you know, have some provenance to it. I always record it. Pictures, like I sign a little like number to it. I put it in a little Excel spreadsheet and be like, oh, like I got this beech tree from the public gardens. It's like, that's recorded. Every piece of that's recorded. When I turn that into slabs, 
that's going to be recorded. Be like, hey, this is the beech tree that came down during Hurricane Fiona from the public garden. So if someone wants a table made out of it, if someone wants to buy the wood product, I can like kind of show them a chain of custody. And it like to me, that adds value to it, right? I always like a good story, man. Yeah. So like if I can have a piece, like, I mean, I'm just already thinking of stuff like, you know, maybe we get a bigger podcast table and I can have like four mics, more guests, you know, who knows yeah, guys, yeah. the limit wherever it goes, but like to be, or, or like a kitchen table. Like, yeah. so like you have a dinner party and if somebody starts commenting on how much they like your table and be like, well, actually, yeah, this tree is from so-and-so's place down in the South end. We think it's like. 150 years old was probably around since whatever 18 1900s whatever and uh, yeah it's just like i don't know i like to entertain so if you have like a conversational piece that helps kind of the juices flow i mean then you got something to you know if you get a stale part of your dinner party well you got something kind of maybe to fill in oh yeah and you can be like very specific like i had a i didn't do anything with the wood afterwards but in clayton park i was this oak tree this guy came in. It was it was weird. He was kind of cryptic. Like you got to come at this time specifically. We have to saw it up. Uh, it has to be loaded on this truck. The slabs right away. And I was like, okay. I kind of thought like this guy was like stealing this tree that was down at a yeah, buddy's yard or something. Full of drugs or something. Yeah. <laughs> come to find out, it was a son and a father. The oak tree was planted for Mother's Day for their mother on the first birthday of their son. That was the gifter planted this little oak tree. Well, you know, 35 years later, this tree, the roots were encroaching on the foundation of the basement next door, had to be removed. Uh, Mother was devastated. Like, uh, she loved this tree. So the arborist dropped it. She didn't know. He got me to mill it. He got the wood trucked away. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a couple of years. It's going to be dried over time, whatever. And he's going to make a dining room table for his mom. And he's going to be able to say, hey, this is from the tree. So you, it's not a loss anymore. Oh, yeah. And it, it's there forever. And, like, you can do that so many ways. Like, uh, you know, anytime you have any tree removed on your property, you could do that. One thing is I try and petition, like, uh, like some people who are looking at doing developments and stuff. It's like, hey, if you're removed – it doesn't need to be something as, uh, you know, elegant as a table. But, you know, say you're putting in 10 houses and there's a bunch of spruce trees there. Well, what? maybe we turn those all into beams and those are the mantle in all those places. It's and, fantastic. And you tell them, hey – the like right on site we had those trees removed milled dried turned into this product you know circular economy little to no waste and this is a piece of the ground that the house is built on it's a, i like that like this is the i wouldn't i guess i'd say it's like my passion for this whole thing is trying to make this circular economy i think that's a great idea and i mean i mean I, it would be huge value for me to know that like at least if this place was clear cut for this development that you know some of these trees just didn't go to waste like they're being a part of the build they're part, yeah. you know mantles or whatever and you can kind of you know let people know that um so i would imagine like have you started talking to like any like builders or like you know you know oh yeah i've uh, i like a friend of mine built his whole house out of stuff we cut right on site that was cut from the spot that his house is he had to get an engineer to sign off on it because there's a get whole stamp yeah a whole stamp process. But I've done that. I actually uh, uh, was involved with a capstone project with the uh, oh yeah the, they're big time yeah the Dalhousie School of uh, Sustainability. They did a whole thing on this like urban wood salvage and and how to do it. There's another fella uh, Mike Young. He owns Berkshire Developments. I've 
done a bunch of cut for him. He likes more. It doesn't necessarily need to be like the structural building materials, but when you're talking about like trim work, uh, flooring, I'd love to be able to do a set of flooring for a place, like even for a small room or something like a custom, like maple flooring or oak flooring. Like that would be a, I think that's a cool way to give people uh, a return on the wood from their properties. Like this floor is from the trees that were here. You know Absolutely. What I mean? And, uh, but yeah, you know, odds and sods of like, I'd love to see it be like a, a policy thing. Like imagine it's a good, like sustainability outcome. Like if you had a developer in Halifax, you know, and they said, well, you know, part of the ways we're going to meet our sustainability outcome is we're going to take the tree that's on this property. We're going to put it in this pipeline that I supply. It's going to get moved, milled, dried, and turned into this product, which is going to go back into our building. Like that has a, a value in the sense that it's working that circular economy, that it's focusing on sustainability, and it actually makes a nice product in the end of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, would you say, like, say, that, like, if you're doing like a process, say, like a floor for a home, yep. um, cost comparing, uh, would it be obviously like a more premium? Uh, item for them to have like the trees that were on the property kind of set as a floor or would you say it'd be fairly comparable oh, as- it'd, it'd be comparable in price for sure I, th- I think it'd be you could make it comparable in price and uh even have a higher quality you know oh, what I mean? well, yeah yeah and that's few and far between yes. really. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah not not even to mention like the aspect to being able to say hey like yeah, everyone sees the like building products are changing right they're you get that, like, you know, to get a, a real hardwood floor now is, you know, it's through the roof. It's a, uh, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's inexpensive, you know, to the common home buyer, but if you could afford to do real hardwood floor, it'd be comparable to do that, especially if you supply the logs yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm just kind of thinking down the road here. I mean, I got a client, we got those 12 lots out in ceilings I was telling you about, and that's all wooded. So... Yeah. Who knows? That might be something you we could kind of jump on if we can get a builder involved that be interested in kind of looping you in because they need that that uh, land cleared. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and I know we talked about it, but just got a few Iron some paperwork in the way before we kind of commit yeah. to anything in, with the city. So we're just waiting on approvals there. But that's awesome. Um, anything else that you guys are doing? Like I, I, I'm a huge sustainability guy too, and anything we can do to kind of limit our car- carbon footprint on the earth is always uh, something I'm interested in. Um, is there anything else? I think you mentioned, uh, you know, you're tracking everything. Um, I think we kind of had an off one off discussion at the, our jujitsu gym that you guys were trying to implement some QR code implementation. Yeah. And I, this was like a discussion uh, when I did that capstone project, it was a, uh, it'd be all well, like I guess I'll, I'll like give the the overview of what like my ideal scenario would look like is that anytime a, a tree, let's say like let's use just the peninsula of Halifax, any uh, publicly owned tree had to be removed for any reason, like you know it's a hazard tree, new development, that it wouldn't just go to the dump. It would be uh, cut down by like a bonded or registered arborist. And then it would be rooted to myself or someone who had the same capability I did. It would be milled, dried, turned into a product. But you don't have to uh, categorize, catalog, and organize all that to keep like a chain of custody. Because 
if the city wants to be involved and you need to have a process, you need to show that everyone's being honest, right? You need to show that like the arborists that did it are registered and they're competent arborists. The people who are milling can actually turn it into a usable product and, and track it. So my suggestion was that all those pieces of wood would have like a QR code on all of them, which would have like a web-based tracking software, which would have pictures, show where the tree came from, give you like a data location, and just like a little blurb, you know, this tree was cut down on the corner of South Park and whatever, because it was deemed a hazard. And then, so you could like do that numerous ways. You could turn that into products. Like say you went to store and uh, you say you're looking at a product, you're looking at a table, you know, some flooring, whatever. There's a QR code there. You know, everyone see a QR code scan. You say, oh, this flooring came from this tree on South Park. That's cool. But that would also like open you to the database that will have like different links. You can search for stuff based on location or species. So you can be like, well, you know, I'm from the South End. It'd be cool if I had something else from the South End. And then there'll be like a little map. You'd be like, wow, that's a tree on the street I used to live. What products are made from that or what wood's available? Then you're like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of just, you know, maple. I could buy that and build my own product out of it. And it would all be a chain of custody associated. So you would know exactly where the wood came from, why it came down. And there'd be like other elements. Like I, I wouldn't want this, this wood to be shipped off to other provinces to be used. I'd like to keep it like right in the communities of where it came from yeah and like just that shipping element reduces the carbon footprint of it absolutely because like right now if you look at like i, I watched logs get cut down the road from me on the eastern shore i saw the truck go by i called the trucking company because i seen the logs i called them hey i want to buy those saw logs like i got a sawmill right here i will buy those saw logs from you. they're already bought who bought them you told me the company they're in bridgewater so these logs that are cut in the eastern shore go all the way down to the south shore, get processed, and what gets processed from that gets shipped all over the province or provinces. It's not a very streamed line process, right? But it's an effective process for those businesses. I'd rather keep the, the communal sawmill kind of thing like it used to be. You, you cut it in this community. It gets milled, dried in this community. It goes back to the community. Right back in the community. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, there's a lot of products that we can you know, provide ourselves locally that we don't even get the benefit of, um, you know, seafood products. A lot of times, you know, like we got Atlantic shrimp, we get fished not far out of Halifax. They all go anywhere, but here, Yeah. you know, uh, a lot of even our haddock, like, you know, just to mention like my past, you know, side hustle there that I was doing with my father, like, you know, we could get haddock and like the only place you can get haddocks down in public Scotia. And if you don't live there or you don't have a guy like, you know, what we were doing, bringing it up here, like you can barely get haddock. Yeah. And it's just like, there's a few other, other products. Like they're not coming to mind right now, but it's just like, I really like that. You know, I know that some, there's a process, you know, for businesses to make money nationally and beyond the scope yeah. of their communities. But I think it's nice to have somebody kind of looking at it back at like, well, if I'm going to be harvesting these old trees and making these awesome products and I want to share it back into the community they came from. So I think there's a lot of value there for, for folks, uh, especially locally. I mean, at least in my land. So, Oh yeah. Like, and even value, but in terms of, you know, we're talking about all the things we need to do to uh, be sustainable in the future. Well, right. As soon as we ship things away, well, transport trucks, yeah. emissions, and you know, not that like you said that we can't, 
absolve ourselves of that, but reducing that by keeping those products as local as possible alleviates that over time. Yeah. And one of the other things I'd love to see is like, you know, you look at all these trees in the city, you know, if I would drum up all this product, that product would relieve some of the like stress from the market for other local hardwood products, which means maybe there's less forestry operations going on specifically for hardwood in Nova Scotia or people are buying less exotic hardwoods you know that's a whole other thing you know exotic hardwoods rainforests being deforested and their products being brought up but they're importing it yeah but if we created our own little economy here it, it alleviates some of that pressure i know it's a micro it's a drop in the bucket but it there needs to be lots of drops in the bucket by everyone to meet these goals that we have for sustainability yeah i think that rings true right across the board like you know whether it starts in something like this and kind of spreads out across, you know, other industries, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. I mean, I'm all about sustainability and it's, you know, obviously a hot topic, um, that's been going around. Um, so what are some of like the products? Like I got a nice serving, serving yeah. board and a, and a wine caddy that we've been enjoying. I got it actually set up in the Airbnb there for a guest I was showing you. Um, are you guys going to be doing bats or is that something that's that's no I, that's, that's specialty a, that's, that's, that's a specialty enough, thing that's I a guess specialty thing the the bread and butter is always going to be the sawmill and the wood like the raw wood product yeah because you're doing a lot of rough cut stuff yeah. too for like if somebody wants to build a shed or yeah. a fence or whatever i actually got a fence i need some wood for a fence yeah the storm all blew it all over it's been ready to get due here probably since i moved in but it's one of those things like back of the burner right back yeah. of the burner so yeah i guess in in the next coming like year or two i'm gonna really focus on uh like high-end hardwood big slabs selling those that's gonna be the 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 bread and butter but also value-added products so the longer you hold on to a piece of wood the more money you make out of it so you know you just saw it you make X amount of money. Then you dry it, you know, increases the value. You surface it and plane it so it's a very usable piece of wood for someone, you increase the value more. You turn it into hardwood flooring, ups the value more. Or you turn it into tabletops, cabinetry, serving boards. I got a little CNC machine there, so I do custom inlays and stuff. I really enjoy that. I probably enjoy that the most out of all the processes. That's super cool. Yeah, like I, I like that a lot. So I like doing that. And the epoxy, yeah, accent it, stuff. I mean, oh, epoxy's the that epoxy changed this whole game because a lot of this like wood we would get from the city would be discarded because there's imperfections, there's holes, there's rot. No one wanted it. But now that's sought after. Yeah, you clear all that out. Oh, you get yeah. rid of that dead wood. Fill you it all up. Fill it with epoxy. You can be, a, you know, I'm not a very creative person but in terms of the creativity aspect like i like that epoxy like it allows you to be creative with what would have been trash and uh yeah i'm definitely going to be turning out tables uh you know the servant boards were more of like a proof of concept to, to learn how to use the epoxy learn how to use the wood you know but uh but you're turning out a few more there come the Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I did have like a little production line going yeah. for sure. Uh, I'm going to need some more soon too. Yeah, so. like they're, they're nice that, you know, I can batch them out. And they, but it was, it was, I did it 100% with the intention of just learning. Like learn how to use the epoxy, learn how to treat the wood, what finishes I wanted to use, how to use the CNC machine. And uh, 
I, uh, yeah, I did make profit off the whole thing, but the goal was just to like break even and learn how to do it because when you're doing a big table, you know, when you're putting $800 worth of epoxy into that pour, I tell you, you don't want to screw it up. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. See, this is when I was getting a little more brazen with my ability. This yeah. was before I built that table. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll try and make one fancy. Yeah. And man, it was going good. Like, I was pretty impressed. Like, I had these nice slabs of, uh, I think they were cherry wood. Yeah. Anyway, I drove down to the valley to get them from this guy. He had, like, all kinds of rough cut stuff. I think this was before I knew you or even knew you did, like, the whole rough cut timber yeah. stuff. Um, anyway, I got it, and I started looking up how to do these river epoxy tables. Because yeah. this is what I wanted to do. Oh, I was yeah. going to do it, and I had these awesome slabs. They were... It, it was the perfect shape of a river, really. I wish I would have been able to do it. So anyway, Amazon, like, epoxy. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I need, like, four jugs of this stuff. It's like, I don't know what it was, like $180 a jug. Like, yeah. it, was, it was crazy. I was like, this is insane, but whatever. Not going to make this more than once, and it's a gift for my wife. So yeah. money was no object at the time. <laughs> so I get going. I get, you know, sand everything down and put them together, and I frame it up. And then I start pouring. And, you know, it's supposed to have a ratio, yeah. right? You got the hardener oh, yeah. and the activator and all that stuff. So I do it. I do the first coat. Like They're like doing layers, right? Because, you know, it's a pretty thick yeah. table. So I was like, all right, first table. I was kind of nervous. Finish up that evening. Go down the next morning check. Rock solid. Perfect. I was like, all right. Awesome. We're going to do the rest. Pour it all in. Done. And I'm like, oh, well, there's a little bit left. In the containers, can't give put that to waste. Yeah. So I started dumping the rest of it into the table. Well, I'm not even thinking. I just screwed up all my ratios that I measured. <laughs> and I mean, I got the blue dye in there. Yeah, it looks yeah, yeah. awesome. Like I'm like, man, this is gonna be great. Especially ones I can sand her down and put like a clear coat on top. Anyway, so like, again, evening, I go up, chill, do my thing, go to bed, come into the garage next morning to see. I was expecting to be super proud of myself. Well, I put my finger in it. It was like, yeah. it still hadn't cured. And I mean, it was supposed to be long cured. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me to find this. Like, you're a dummy. Yeah, it's 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 way more complicated than people let on. Like, yeah. temperature is a factor. How well you mix it. Adding those dyes. What product use is big? Like, the Amazon yeah. stuff? You know, that's yeah, I'm going to ask you next D-grade. Maybe like, I'll just hire you to do Yeah, it. there's some good companies out there. It took me a little bit to fit, find a company I really liked. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm a distributor for them now. So like, oh, perfect. Yeah, so it's uh, because you use it so much. But I've even had it. I thought everything's good to go. And then you're like, that's still soft. Oh, uh, no, what's so... going on? And, like, you know, it could have just been, oh, maybe, maybe I didn't have the garage up to temperature. Like, temperature is a big thing. You can cure it. Like, that creates its own heat. It's a... Uh, it like when it cures, so it could be too hot, and they can catch on fire. Like, oh. it, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you see some guys mix up the like really fast set epoxy in large quantities to create so much heat, start smoking and stuff. Oh yeah, it's, oh, I didn't know. It's science, like, you know. But it's a uh, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was so disappointed. <laughs> anyway, my neighbor had they were doing a deck, and they had uh, the junk guys come by and just clear out a bunch of junk. And I just went over to the guys. I was like, "Hey, you guys, busy?" They're like, "Oh, we got a second. I was like, "I got this piece of junk in my garage. I need to just get rid of." He's like, "What is it?" And 
was like this epoxy table I tried to make. I was just like sick of looking at it. Yeah. I gave them like 20 bucks and like went down to Tim's and get, got them coffee and Tim yeah. bits and they took it, got rid of it. So that's my experience with epoxy. So I'll definitely be coming to, to you for some tips yeah. next time. So um, I see on your website too, you guys do a little bit more. Like you got a few more offerings. I know you said your brother-in-law is a little bit of, into machining. Yeah. I know you got some some machine work you guys got listed that you're doing there yeah. you got some storage options you guys got all kinds I of do, stuff down on that eastern shore yeah i do but. whatever uh, i'm open to everything at any time you know the he does welding the machine and that's that's his wheelhouse a lot of welding you got like a couple things he he works he's a shipbuilder works at irving so you know he's full-time too just ticks away at it you know hours in the shop in the evening um now, would you say he's a partner, or is he just? Uh... Uh, we're like, uh, yeah, I guess we both have ownership of the company. We just have like two divisions, I guess we so would say. You're you're operating the wood, and he's yeah. more on the on the metalworking yeah. side of things. It's uh, and is the storage kind of like a, an idea that come about fifty fifty, or no, that sounds like a net it. power? Yeah, like I just I got lots of space, yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, we can. You know, a couple people asked me if they could store a couple things here and there. I was like, oh yeah, for sure. It just made sense at the time so i did it and would continue to do it i'm, I'm how many how many cars or how many big ticket items do you think you could store i see you got oh, sea can uh, containers a whole bunch like, i've had like eight cars there at once over a winter it's a you know just like a, a side hustle to the side hustle yeah it was you know, good to have an yeah, option yeah passive income you know uh and usually it's all for friends uh so you know help them out like well, you know make sure like i had one buddy dropped his car off he had to go away for six months you know I went and picked it up from where he dropped it off. Had a flat tire. <laughs> okay, perfect. So now you're your technician too. Well, I pulled, pulled the tire off, took it to Honda. He had three days left on the tire warranty. You know, nice SI low right. profile tire. Yeah. If I didn't get that tire in within those three days, he was out six hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I, I would say that, but yeah. So did you add on to your service fee or? Yeah. No. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so this is kind of like your side hustle, but, I mean, I know we've talked a lot, you know, in between classes finishing up. Like, you're kind of aspiring to, you know, eventually one day kind of leave the, the, the Air Force and kind of pursue this full time. Do you have any kind of uh, timeline or, or anything that you'd like to see this happen? Or uh, is that yeah. something you can share? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, if you – like, I guess I got the sawmill in 2017. The plan was to just build for when I reached my – like actual retirement and my goal was just to have all my machines have them all paid off and roll off with my pension and just play around with this and have no overhead and or very little and then it's just like accelerated so fast that it was like oh like i have all i have you know way further in the game than i thought i would be in this business and uh, you know what do i want to do now like i find myself frequently turning down work or not be able to do work because I'm, you know, have an obligation to my, my day job. So right. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm in the position now where as soon as the military is unadvantageous for me, I can do this full time and, you know, even putting part-time effort into this, it's growing rapidly. So when I'm, when I double down and put the, the full-time effort into it, I just imagine it's going to even grow further and faster. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, unreal, when you really want to put your mind to something like, you know, a little bit of attention goes a long way. Like even like for me, like I, we don't do it now cause I had to refocus cause father retired and he decided he really didn't have any interest in that side hustle yep. for the fish peddling. Um, but 
I mean, even in the short couple of years of the pandemic, I mean, I had like 50 or 60 customers, like, yeah. you know, every couple of weeks. And obviously I had a daytime job at the time too, um, you know, prior to losing my, my nine to five job, uh, with Unilever Canada, you know, that was a side hustle. And you, you know, same to you. It's like, man, if I could have this many customers, if I didn't do my full-time gig, I mean, where could it go? And you kind of, I think what keeps people from kind of trying that is, you know, fear really. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's scary a, to kind of get out on your own and, and, and grind, but you know, it sounds like you're pretty familiar with the grind. And like, I grew up like, you know, dad was a commercial lobster fisherman, electrician, ran his own companies, grandfather, same thing, carpenter, fisherman. So, um, you know, when I jumped into real estate, it was kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to go all in and you look, I know something's going to happen. And so it's been a great ride since. So, yeah. yeah, I like uh if you like something and you can monetize it. I would I, I tell that to like a lot of people. They do activities that aren't necessarily like sports or something like a hobby. Like really focus on a way to monetize that uh because you can monetize most of your hobbies. And yeah. it's a good way to introduce yourself into a side hustle. You don't need to have these aspirations to make it this massive empire, but just a way to monetize your hobbies, to sustain them and maybe grow them on a, a scale that you would even enjoy them more is a good practice to have, I think. Absolutely. I mean, life's too short to do something you don't enjoy the rest of your life. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, early on, like I was interested in real estate coming out of university, but, you know, I had a roommate at the time. He had a girlfriend. His father was, uh, her father, sorry, was uh, a broker, real estate broker. And, you know, I was like, hey, can I talk to your dad? And I did. And, you know, he was kind of like, you know, the whole, you know, story people give you about real estate or working yeah. on your own. It's a grind. You're going to work all these hours. It's all commission. You don't make any money unless, you know, you get the deals. Yep. And it just really, like, at 22 years old, graduated from St. Mary's University with a business degree obviously I'm more interested in partying and paying my rent. And I was just like, that's not for me right now. Yeah. I just like pivoted into the corporate world. And I mean, I love that. I give almost like nine years to Unilever Canada, um, as the district manager, but you know, there was always that, like, this is where I'm going to be. Yeah. I'm capped. I do what they say. And it's, there's not a lot of flexibility for like growth, growth and yeah. development of my own. Exactly. So, even before I got structured out of that business, I was already thinking about like what's next. Yep. So yeah, I mean, to your point, especially like giving your all to a business for nine years, uh, you know, essentially since graduating university that people told you like, that's what you need to do. You got to go to university, you got to get your education and you get a good job, get your pension and retire. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really work like that. And, 2023 anymore no like it's a your number on a spreadsheet and your employee id number and if you don't you know perform or you're too much of a cost burden which you know that was kind of my my piece of it you know when covid come around there's big things were moving and shaking and they had a big restructure come through I, you know i was the kind of the biggest expense for my segment of the business and they kind of just you know you know there was no real emotion to it it was just yeah. like we need to cut X amount of dollars. And I got the tap on the shoulder. That was kind of me. And, you know, it was a kind of a hard shove into, you know, kind of going after what I wanted to yeah. do, but Hey, whether it's a hard shove or you jump in on your own, I think it's important that people really take stock into what they want to do 
where they want to be in life and, you know, kind of envision yourself at the end where you're sitting today. And is that where you, you're going to be happy? Cause I yep. mean, I've read a lot of stuff and it's like, you know, especially I can't quote the article, but like a lot of regret from people like on their deathbeds and stuff. It's like, well, I wish I either, uh, worked a different job because I, I always had aspirations to do X or, um, you know, maybe I spent too much time working and didn't spend enough time with my family and friends. So it's like, you know, whatever that is for you, I encourage you to figure it out because, I mean, we're not here for forever. That's true. And the, the other thing people talk about the grind is I, I find the grind also gives you flexibility. Like you, where you work, you have mandated hours. Some people have the luxury of not having that, but most people have a, a structure. You need to go to this place for this time to do this job. Whereas if, if you're an entrepreneur and you're doing something, you decide. So if I want to take my kids and drop them off on the bus in the morning, cool. That just might mean... That hour I lose, I do that hour after they go to bed at night. Right. That might mean that, guess what? I'm going to take Wednesday off to do this thing that I want to do, but Sunday I'm in the shop doing this. So, you know, always talk about that. Like, I believe you do work more, but you have more flexibility when you want to put those hours in, and that can allow you to have the lifestyle you wish versus you can be stuck in this box where your lifestyle goes around the box, which I enjoy, you know, if I want to wake up at four in the morning, go to the shop for four hours before everyone wakes up, cool, half my day's done. Done. That's it. And then maybe I'll do the other half after they go to bed. Maybe I'll do in the middle of the afternoon. You know, it's it's nice to have that luxury of being able to move your work day around. And sometimes you can just take off. Like, hey, I know if I take off today, it's going to cost me this amount of money. Cool, that's all right. That's all right with me. And or I want to grind and put those sixteen-hour days in for two weeks. Perfect, we can do that too. Yeah, man. I mean, people, I think, are a little too scared of the grind. It's like, oh, it's going to be a grind. But it's like, is it? Like you said, it's like you got that flexibility. Um, you know, you can do stuff with your kids. You can take a weekday off if you can. You know, finagle it in your schedule. But you know, you got to put it back in somewhere. Yep. But at the same time. Is it really a grind if you enjoy that what you're doing? Like I think people that say it's a grind, like I think they're thinking maybe of their current employment if they had to, you know, yeah, you know, take a day off in the week and then work their job on the weekend. I mean, that just be like, you know, wouldn't be appetizing to them. Whereas like if you're your own person and you got your own thing going, you know, I don't know. It's like everybody said real estate was going to be a grind, but I enjoy it. And anytime I'm out with clients and even if it's past five o'clock or six 30 or maybe even getting closer to 7 PM, I mean, it's not every night no. till seven. And it's, it's, a, it's like sprinting. If, if you're an athlete and you're incorporating sprinting into your routine, you're not sprinting every single day. Right. You do that maybe whatever, once a week or day. you can sprint for a short period of time to meet your outcomes. Then you can throttle back here. You can amp up the intensity here. You know, the grind is variable. The grind isn't 100% every single day forever. It's short sprints while there's an opportunity, and then you can throttle back when there's not, and you, and work, you can pivot. It's. I think people get focused on this idea that they need to run 100% all the time. That's the only way to succeed. It's like, no, you can go 100% when there's an opportunity to go 100%. And then when there's less opportunity, maybe you throttle back to something else. Yeah, refocus. Yeah, man, I think that's a great kind of endpoint to the uh, to the episode here. Um, you know, I think one thing we can gather up from this conversation is just uh, 
you know, don't let fear stand in your way. Get out there, get after it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, life's too short. Go do something you like. So before we wrap it up, um, if people want to check you out, Ed, uh, where do they go? Do you guys, you guys got the website? Yeah. You guys got the... You got a website. It's not that great right now. I'm not going to be, uh, going to be honest about that. Crossroadsresources.com. I'm, uh, I'm going to overhaul that here shortly with some of the new things we're doing. Uh, and what about socials? You got on, uh, yeah, we got a Facebook page, uh, Crossroads Resources LTD, uh, as well as Instagram, uh, Crossroads Resources LTD. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you letting us know what you're doing with the woodworking and the sustainability piece. It was a pleasure. And yep. uh, yeah, well, sure to have you on again another time. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>